Hello and welcome. You're listening to KTAR's Arizona's News Roundup, the weekly podcast that gets you caught up on all the biggest stories in the state on your time from a Valley point of view. I'm your host, Taylor Kinnerup, managing editor here at KTAR News. Behind the board is editor and producer Kate Orda. We're two Valley natives breaking down Arizona's top stories this week. We also look ahead at what's to come to make sure you know what to keep an eye out on until our next episode. For this week, the week of Monday, June 5th, we're breaking down Phoenix Police's new crime reduction plan. But first, we're starting with the fate of Phoenix's infamous canal killer. For you to really understand how we got here, let's go back to 1992, where this story first began. While many natives like me and Kate will tell you our city maintains a small-town feel for such a big metropolis, it was a fraction of its size 30 years ago. In 1992, there were barely over a million people living in Phoenix, and for many, central Phoenix was the height of suburbia. If you live in the valley, you know that winter is really our spring, so in November of 1992, it wouldn't have been uncommon to see people out and about walking or biking along our canal system with friends, family, or alone. That is, until 21-year-old Angela Brasso disappeared while riding her bike. The details of what was done to her are pretty graphic, so if you don't want to hear, skip ahead a bit. Police found Brasso's naked body decapitated, not far from the trail where she was riding on. The news caused concern for many, but roughly 10 months later, 17-year-old Melanie Burness was found floating in the canal just a mile and a half from where Brasso's body was found. For years, the murders went unsolved, until January 2015, when DNA evidence ultimately linked Brian Patrick Miller to their deaths. The trial, which was delayed for years before the state could prove that Miller was mentally competent to stand trial, finally began in September 2022. Miller waived his right for a jury trial, meaning the choice to put him to death fell squarely on the shoulders of Judge Suzanne Cohen. But before we get into the details of the sentencing, I want to talk about Angela Brasso and Melanie Burness. When it comes to stories like this, it's important to keep in mind that before these women were victims or headlines, they were people. They were daughters, sisters, and friends to many who testified on their behalf. Angela's boyfriend at the time testified during the trial, calling her Angie and detailing their long-distance relationship that eventually led them to Phoenix. He talked about appointment television and how the two never missed an episode of Star Trek or In Living Color. Melanie Burness's mother spoke in court and talked about how Melanie played basketball and how the last time she saw her daughter, she thought Melanie was staying home from school sick. These women were deeply loved and are still deeply missed today. While I won't go into the details of their murders, I will say that the detectives who found their bodies described them as carved. The women were believed to be sexually assaulted and stabbed multiple times. These details, however, were not left out of the six-month trial process. These families and loved ones had to go through these painful memories and detail the horrific realities they lived through after their loved ones' bodies were found. Throughout the trial, Miller's defense denied any involvement, although he did acknowledge living in the vicinity of the killings at the time and said he rode his bike on the paths in the area. Miller's defense also tried to prove that his mental disorders rendered him incapable of knowing entirely what he was doing, especially after an abusive childhood. But like I said, because Miller refused a jury trial, this all came down to Judge Cohen's decision. She found Miller guilty on two counts of first-degree murder and also two counts of kidnapping and attempted sexual assault in April. And on Wednesday this week, he was sentenced to death for both crimes. These were Miller's only words after the sentencing. 
thanks for listening to everything that was said and giving us at least the opportunity to try and convince you otherwise. Because of the timing of the crime, Judge Cohen noted that Miller could choose lethal injection or a gas chamber death. We'll continue to follow this case and any possible appeals as Miller now moves to death row. This week, the Phoenix Police Department announced its latest crime reduction plan. The announcement came Monday that the city is seeing an uptick in violent crime and that Phoenix PD is rolling out a new plan to change the trend. So let's take a look at some of these stats. Over the last five years, violent crime increased by 8% in Phoenix. That was driven by homicide, which was up 39%, and aggravated assault, which was up by 14%. However, in that same time, the violent crimes of rape and robbery were each down by at least 3%. Property crime, however, dropped by 5% overall from 2017 to 2022, with burglary plummeting by 51%. Arson was the only category of property crime to rise during that time, jumping by 35%. Now the department says they've got a new plan to lessen violent crime by 5% and property crime by about 8%. Interim Chief Michael Sullivan spoke to the Mike Broomhead Show about this on Tuesday. It's not just a police approach. We want solutions that are going to last. He explained the focus will be on the most violent people in the most active parts of the city. You really need to dig into the data and and see what's happening during those times. It's going to be nuanced across different areas. Some areas, it might be the evening. Some areas, it might be the mornings. And those precinct commanders that are closest to the work know that about their areas. The department will also target prohibited offenders and violent offenders with outstanding warrants. We do that now, but we're talking about a tiered approach. So we can measure and hold ourselves accountable as we go forward and pull those folks off the street before they can offend and offend and offend again. And while it sounds as though a lot of how they will execute this plan will vary precinct to precinct, the intention will be to create solutions that are data-driven and community-centered. It's a plan we'll continue to watch develop as it unfolds. So that's it. You're all caught up for this week, the week of Monday, June 5th. What's ahead? Here are a few things to keep an eye out on until we meet again. Paul tries a three. Shazam! Wow! We're waiting to learn the fate of Suns point guard and all-around superstar Chris Paul after conflicting reports that he'll be waived from the roster. The team has until the end of the month to decide and is, quote, exploring all options. Next week is the official calendar start of monsoon season, so you may want to check your leaky roof and maybe get your windshield wipers replaced. And finally, KTAR News. Focus on homelessness. Next week, KTAR will present its latest in-depth series, Without a Home, a KTAR special series on homelessness in the Valley. It'll include on-air reports, web stories, podcasts, and roundtable discussions with those experiencing homelessness and those working to solve the problem. You won't want to miss it. Remember, you can read more on all the week's top stories and get breaking news in real time on KTAR.com. You can also listen live on 92.3 FM or to take KTAR everywhere you go, just download the KTAR News app for articles, podcasts, and of course, breaking news. A big thanks for listening from your very own Valley Girls, Taylor and Kate. This is KTAR's Arizona's News Roundup. Until next week.